should force us to the cross. Always. And when we reflect on who we are, I think there needs to be a balance. I think we need to reflect on who we would be without Christ, even though as Christians we have Christ, so that we never lose our wonder in what He's done. And from that, I pray that that becomes a fire within us, driving us forward in service to Him. Right? So... I know as I reflect on all that He's done for me and forgiving me for all of my sinfulness that I can't help but feel like the woman who just wept and uh, washed Christ's feet with her hair and cleaned it. Um, I can't help but feel like the man at the altar who was crying out for mercy from God I am not good. And anything that you ever see in me that looks like goodness, I pray that you would glorify Christ. Because He is good. He is so good. So, um, I want us to open up in prayer. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. The theme that I that I want us to to consider or to think about uh overarching chapter 8 is the sovereignty of God which makes the song that we were singing prior to this uh perfect I think a perfect fit for this and and I want us to to think and consider what it means for God to be sovereign has anybody heard the word sovereign before or has anybody would we be so honest as to say, I don't know that I know what it means for God to be sovereign. Is that the case? Don't be embarrassed. We're here to learn, and I guarantee you that not every one of you knows what it is. <laughs> so if you're there and you didn't raise your hand, don't think that you're alone in not knowing what it means for God to be sovereign. Because um, the way that most of the time we live our lives you would think that we as a church have no clue about God being sovereign or what it truly means for God to be sovereign. So I pray as we dig into this passage of text today that we'll reflect on uh, ultimately the sovereignty of God over, uh, over the kings of this earth uh, and over the ways of this earth. We're going uh, to ask some, I'm going to ask some questions and before we get started into into that portion of the text, uh, to kind of, I want y'all to think, even if it's hard, right? Even if sometimes we feel like we come in here and I don't, I want to kind of turn my brain off a little bit and just listen. I, I want us to think, um, and just because we have to wrestle with things, don't does not mean that maybe we don't know as much as we should or. Uh, that we don't study enough. There's some hard things in Scripture, and there's some hard questions um, that Scripture presents to us, and I think it's good for us to wrestle with those things. Uh, I think it brings us to a better understanding of who God is. Uh, So let's open up in prayer, and then we'll begin. Lord, I thank you for this day, uh, for uh, your mighty and wonderful works. Lord, we praise you, and we give you honor, and we give you Glory, Lord, you are holy and we are not, Lord. If not for Christ on the cross, if not for the work that he has done for us, then we would stand as enemies against you and that would be frightening. But through Christ And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you do such an amazing thing in us. Would you take us to places that we could never imagine, Lord? And I I believe it's so that we can grow in love with you as you do it. I believe that it is so that our, our joy can be increased in watching you work. 
pray that we would not close our eyes to your workings in our lives. Lord, and so often our lives present these difficult questions. So often our lives present these situations that would, if we knew what it meant for you to be sovereign, would definitely cause us in our flesh to to question, how could a, how could a sovereign God, how could a God in absolute control let these situations come to pass? They don't make sense to us. Lord, much of the way that this world works makes no sense to me. Maybe... Maybe it's just me, but I've got a feeling that it's not. Where so often we we see the way that this world works, we see the way that our society works, and we wonder, Lord, have you fallen asleep? Or do you not care? Or are you are you even there? Lord, but let us as we reflect on your scripture, as we reflect on the truth of your word. And who you are, let us know, Lord, that you are in control, Lord, and that you are working everything out in accordance with your plan. And there is no king, there is no ruler, there is no demon, there is no devil who can thwart your plan. Lord, as we open up your scripture today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in us move in our hearts, move in this church, lead us, to repl- lead us to repentance, lead us to service. Let us be filled with joy as we serve you. Lord, let us see it as an opportunity and not as a burden. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 1. Which verse 1, if you've read up to this point, and then when we jump after this, verse 1 almost feels out of place, right? And as I was preparing to preach last week's message, and I was preparing to preach this week's message, I'm like, Lord, where does that fit? Where does that fit? So um, just for the sake of of y'all feeling me in this passage of text, and my confusion as far as where this fits, I want us to read... Just We'll start in verse 28 of the previous chapter. Though I've searched repeatedly, I've not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous, but not one woman. But I find this, God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward paths. How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. Verse 2, obey the king since you vowed to do, or since you vowed to God that you would... So, does anybody else see how almost out of place that passage of text is? Or, to me, and and reading over it many times, just like, I don't know where in the world that fits. I I think to myself, Solomon, you do a poor job of transitioning between topics. You're going from repentance to politics, and you're going to put this one phrase about wisdom in there. So I, I thought it would be a good time to address it tonight because it does, I think, a good job of pushing the point of what we were looking at in the previous two weeks. So uh, 8 and 1 says, How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face, softening its harshness. So before he changes subjects, right? So this passage of text is essentially summarizing what I hope that we've seen in the two messages leading up to where we're at today. So if we go back over in chapter 7 and we look, uh, we see a picture in verses 15, so I'll read it. I've seen everything meaningless in this life, including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? So we see a picture there, and a couple of weeks back we discussed, and, and I was asking you the question, are you good and wise? Are you, are you wicked? And what conclusion 
did we kind of come to there? Do, do y'all remember what conclusion we came to? Who, who, felt, who felt like they fell in the good camp after last week? I know I didn't, church. I know I, know I, I don't feel like I fall in the good and, and wise camp, right? How many of us, pro- man, I'm going to just go ahead and raise my hand and f- say I feel like I fall in the wicked camp. I feel like oftentimes I, I fall in the, in the wicked camp. So, so why, if, if you're leading us, Solomon, why if you're leading us to the conclusion that we're ultimately probably not as good as we think we are, and following from that we're likely not wise, why then this? Why then this passage that, that essentially, once again... In case you're wondering, wisdom is good, and you should seek after wisdom. Why? And I hope what's been happening throughout Ecclesiastes, throughout this study, is, is maybe an enlightening of our minds that, that some of the things that, that we face in this world, if, if taken on face value just in what they are, like human wisdom, then what we would find is they're meaningless, pointless, vain. Right? But with the right perspective, right, with the heavenly perspective, they become valuable. Not in and of themselves, they derive their value from heavenly things. So throughout this book, and and, and I'll tell you today, it is good for you to be wise. And you should seek wisdom but but what we see and what we should have come to the conclusion of last time is that, that we see Solomon at a point that he is repenting, right? His heart is, is, is broken over what he has done, and he's come to a point of repentance. And I'm, I want to tell you, the only time, church, the only time that we will find ourselves wise is when we find ourselves spiritually wise. And you're not spiritually wise if you're not in a repentant state of the heart, right? Your wisdom will be found to be foolishness. You'll be found seeking after your own prideful desires, your own prideful thoughts, your own prideful heart, unless your heart is in a state that is in repentance constantly. How can that happen? How how do we stay in a state of constant repentance? We stay on our knees. And why would we stay on our knees? To draw closer to Him. And why would we draw closer to Him? Because we, we realize that we've got nothing else. Church, we realize we've got nothing else. And this is the point. This is the point that Solomon's life led him to. Through all of his earthly wisdom, through all of his blessings, all of the good things that he had, everything that he chased after, ultimately culminating in his heart's desire to chase after women and to allow them to lead him away from the God that he should have been serving, to serving other gods, he found it meaningless, pointless, and void. And this left him in a place where he only had one thing that he could do. Now let's fall before God, repent of his sins, understand who he is, and beg for the mercy of the only one who could show mercy. And in that, we find wisdom. In that, we find wisdom. And that's where we make sense of this, because how wonderful is it to be wise? How wonderful. To be wise because we know the only true and wise God. How wonderful to be wise so that we can analyze and interpret things. And I'm not talking about from an earthly point of view. Though that's not bad and you may succeed in this life ultimately to find out that everything that you thought was a success ultimately meant nothing and that your wisdom was foolishness. Or... You can keep your heart close to God, repentant always. And then you'll see things for what they are. You'll analyze and interpret things. And this will be wonderful for you. Wisdom, this 
kind of wisdom lights up a person's face. It changes the way that we look to other people. They're not going to look at us and say, man, that is a super wise individual. They're going to look at us and say, I don't know that I quite know why. What is that? What is that that makes them work like that? What is that that makes them love others like that? What is that? What's, what lights up their face? This wisdom that only comes with the knowledge of the Creator. So this is a bridge from last week, and now we're going to start looking at uh, Romans, or, man, I've got Romans on the brain. I've been, re- been reading that this week, and we're going to, we may go over there a little today, but uh, we're going to be uh, in Ecclesiastes 8 and 2. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of passages of text, and we're going to, we're going to look at a couple of things. Uh, we're going to, we're going to be talking about politics tonight, and I'm not going to be telling you who to vote for, right? We're going to be looking at kings more generally. We're going to be looking at governments even more broadly than that. We're going to be looking at worldly authority, how we are to react towards that authority, and ultimately why, and ultimately. Now, I want us to understand that as he's reflecting on much of this, he's doing what we've been doing all along, showing the value of these things under the sun, but but hopefully y'all have kind of gotten the way that we're doing these things. We're looking at it from that point of view and then seeing the better things that we find in Christ, right? The better things that we find when we look beyond the sun. So as we look at authority and as we look at governments and the king here and, and commands to obey the king and, and we find throughout Scripture commands to obey the leadership that, that's been established. Uh, what I want us to understand from this is that ultimately this is going to be a reflection for us on a higher king, right? The king of kings, right? On a higher authority, the sovereign God of all creation, right? So as we, uh, as we go through this, I want us to kind of keep that in mind. So we're going to look at a couple of passages of text um, I've debated on whether or not we read it and then look at these passages of text or if we read these other passages of text and then, um, and then read through this. I think we're going to go and look at these others first. So what, what I want us to see from this, and, and, and I don't know, that we, I don't know that, we, that we fully grasp it. At least I think sometimes in, in the way that we live our lives, we at least communicate with one another in such a way that it maybe sounds like we don't quite get it. Or maybe we communicate to ourselves in such a way that it would seem like maybe we don't quite get that God is sovereign over everything. So before we do that, actually, what does it mean for God to be sovereign over everything? We've, we've talked about this in the past. Uh, we're going to kind of go over it again today because it's a theme that we should not get past ever, and it's something that should be fixed deep within us, a knowledge of who our God is, and one of those things that we should not forget about Him is that He is sovereign. So what does it mean for God to be sovereign? And I'm going to open this up for you, raise your hand, or just say it out loud, or whatever you feel like doing. Uh, What does it mean for God to be sovereign? So God is in authority over everything. And we agree with this. This is good. We got any other things? This is good. God is in authority over everything. What does it mean for God to be in authority over everything? And the question, I want to ask this because I want you to be thinking about this. Is there anything excluded from that? Okay? So then in response to that, because again, I want you to be thinking... So you say, God has authority over everything. Uh, There's nothing excluded from that. And I'm going to ask you, what about sin? Does he have authority over sin? So we're going to say, ultimately, he has authority over sin. What about Satan? What about 
all the powers and principalities and the darkness and the rulers and the kingdoms of this world. Is, is he sovereign over them? So we're going to say yes. Now, the, now this is where we're going to get into harder questions. So why then are there Christians having their heads chopped off in the Middle East? Does God get glory for Christians having their heads cut off in the Middle East? You going to work and taking a stand for God against sin. Or teachers going to school and not being quieted about who they are in what they do. And being fired is God's sovereign over your loss of a job. So we've got yes to all of these things. So we've got kids in this world going hungry. And you're telling me that God, the almighty all-powerful, sovereign Lord is just letting that happen for no reason? So, so, how many of you, and uh, this is, I'm, again, we're, we're playing this out, right? We're playing this out. How many of you, how many of you, if you knew someone was hungry, if you knew someone was dying of hunger, how many of you would let them die of hunger? What if it glorified you in some way? Because I want you to understand, do y'all, are y'all following me in this? Are y'all following me in this? That you're saying that the God who could doesn't, for what reason? For His glory. Now what would we say of you if you said, I know of someone that I could help and for my glory they'll die of hunger. This is, there's some, some good things coming out. One is absolutely true that we cannot peek into the mind of God. But how often do you do it when it's you and yours? And how often do you question His sovereignty when it's you and yours? It's easy to forget when it's kids in Honduras or when it's kids in Africa. Because it's not you. Yes. Anytime we run into any situation in our life that is uncomfortable for us, that is out of the norm for us, immediately, we, we, whether we know it or not, we start questioning His character. Because I want you to understand that when we question Him and we say, why is He not doing these things? Why is He not doing that thing? Why is He not doing it like this or, or like that? That ultimately the question you're asking is, is God good? This is the original lie that was told, friends. This is the original lie. In the garden... God's holding something back from you. Something good from you. So, with these questions in the air, right? and I'm not telling you that I'm going to have all the answers for you today. Because <laughs> there's a lot of these things that I struggle with, that I myself wrestle with. 
But there's some undeniable truths, okay? And I want you all to follow me on this. And, and, and this is the way that I, that I work it out in my mind. Either there is or there is not a God. If there is not a God, then how can I question starving children as being anything other than just matter in motion? Right? One side of things. On the other side of things, there is a God. Now, if there is a God, then the question then is why did He do anything instead of doing nothing? Why did He set anything off in motion? And I think ultimately, if we, if we dig into that side of things, we're going to come to, to some particular conclusions. If you've been in the apologetic stuff, you know exactly where, if you follow it long enough, you lead to, you lead to one God one creator, you lead to ultimately three possibilities. This is Judaism, this is Islam, or this is Christianity. They all point back to one person that all of them branch out from. And the way that you can answer the whole thing is to ask a question about what do they say about Jesus, because ultimately that is the deciding factor that differentiates the two, or the three, right? So, so the same question asked to Pilate is the question that we ultimately ask ourselves. And I think in that, if the answer to this is that Christ is in fact God and that Christ did live a life like us, down the cross for us, if these things are true, then there's one undeniable thing about God. is that God is good. And He is good in a way that we cannot fathom. Because He would come down and partake in this to save those who were enemies of Him. So the question that we should never be able to step over into is that God is somehow not good. So then is God sovereign? Yes. And that's hard. That's hard. And I'm going to say that's hard if it's kids in other countries, and that should be hard for us. And it's hard if it's kids in our own country or in our own neighborhood. It should be hard for us. He's called us. Right? He's called us to go. Studying this past week on the, the passage of text where it talks about the, the gates of hell will not prevail. And oftentimes we see that in the sense that those gates are not going to overcome us as the church. That's not, that's not what that passage of text is implying. What that passage of text is implying is that as we burst forth through those gates... It will not prevail against us. It will not hold us back as we go running headlong into this world that's crazy, that often doesn't work like the way that we think it would work, that it won't prevail against the church, that we will burst through it, doing the work that He's called us to do. And in that, the lost will be saved. You, you build gates around your house to keep people out. Your gates tend not to be something that's used to attack. Why do we, why do we look at that passage of text and act like that, that somehow the gates aren't going to overwhelm us? Like, it's soldiers that overwhelm you, people. It's soldiers that come to battle. Gates don't do it. Gates keep people out.
Maybe we should have split that into three messages. No. <laughs> all right, all right. Now that we're past that, <laughs> we're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2. Now, a particular passage of text that you want to keep in mind if you're taking notes, go look at Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 24. In that passage of text, what you will find is that the people of Israel make a vow to Solomon, or make a vow to God that they will follow Solomon as king. So, uh, pledge submission to King Solomon. So here we go. So, what he's mentioning here is a direct response to this, right? Now, we're going to be looking at it and kind of stepping back a little bit and looking at some more general principles that we can also pull out of this, but I do want you to note that that this is something that he's saying in response to them. Also, take note of what we talked about last week, where last week what we found is that because of Solomon's sinfulness, even though he repented, Right? Even though Solomon has, has at this point been in repentance, the results of that sin are playing out, and ultimately God has promised that the kingdom is going to be stripped from him. Not from him directly, but from his son. Right? And this happens. This historically happens. So at this point in time, he knows that this is going to be happening. He knows that he's going to be having his authority taken from him. And he's still saying what he says here, right? So these principles can apply even though that God is going to be working and stripping power and authority from an individual or a leader or whatever. These principles can still apply. So verse 2, Obey the king since you vowed to God that you would. Don't try to avoid doing your duty and don't stand with those who plot evil for the king can do whatever he wants. So under the sun, under the sun, what would you speculate is the reason that most people, instead of trying to be the leader themselves, submit to authority? What would you speculate is the reason? Why are y'all not the president? Well, some don't want the responsibility, but we sure don't act like that when we think we're the kings of our own lives, Right? I mean, we act like we're kings, but we're afraid to be that kind of king. Or, truth be known, we don't know the right people. Right? It wasn't sovereignly declared for us to be there. Right? So what we find is that under the sun, we typically submit and we typically do service because someone has power over us. Authority tends to be exerted, right? America is powerful because we have a tiny little army? Is that, is that a true statement? Or is America powerful because, man, if anybody you should worry about dropping a nuke on somebody, it's us. We're, we're the one with the track record for it. You don't mess with us. Why? Because we're powerful. And I'm telling you, we won't step a day past the day that God says that's it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I will, I will agree with you there. And that what we find, what we find, a hundred out of a hundred times in Scripture is that when Israel itself is in the best of times, is whenever it's chasing after God, and then when they find themselves being led astray by the ways and by the blessings, and what they find is they have those blessings stripped from them. To be too harsh on them? Is this why these things happen? Or is it to lead them to repentance? Again, for us, same thing's true. Oftentimes, the things that you look and you say, why God? is because yesterday you weren't even thinking about Him. So don't think that he won't let things draw you to him through destructive things, right? Don't think that he's too good for that, right? He's, he's jealous for us, and he wants the best for us, and those things are not the best for us. 
even though we think that they might be. So under the sun, we tend to submit because the king is powerful. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. So again, why don't we submit? And if we don't submit, we'll be punished for our insurrection. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right, for there's a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Man, there's some... Wow. There's some truth. I want you all to read this. I'm going I'm to read it again. Those who are wise... Now, what are we talking about wisdom earlier? We talked about wisdom earlier. Who, who, who are wise? You're repenting? Are you repenting? Are you wise to repentance? Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there's a time and a way for everything. When everything's going good? Is that what the, is that what the text reads on? When, when you got the job you want, when you're not sick, when you're as healthy as you could be, when you're in your, when you're in your prime, that's, that's when you do what's good. When you got the money to do good, right? When you're not struggling paycheck to paycheck, maybe when I get that next promotion, that'll be the time. That'll be the time that the wise person does right. Maybe maybe I'll serve whenever I ain't got so much going on in my life. Maybe I'll serve when I'm not pregnant or my wife's not pregnant. Maybe I'll serve when my leg heals up or my knee heals up. Maybe I'll serve when I lose enough weight to serve. Or maybe I'll serve when I get strong enough, when I'm not, you know, weak, too weak to serve. Maybe I'll serve when everything's going good. Maybe I'll serve when I, when I don't have cancer. Maybe I'll serve when my back doesn't hurt quite as bad as, as it's hurting right now. What, what will the wise do? Let's read, the, let's read the text. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a day for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Do you think that Solomon giving a command to one of his servants and it not being followed through would accept, I didn't feel good today? How, how, man, I know a lot of y'all are probably in some high-stress jobs and, and, and how many of your employers... Man, you'd have to be in the hospital to get a day off. That's your employer. Now, I want y'all to follow me because we're, we're going somewhere with this. Right? I, y'all are probably wise enough at this point to see where we're going with this. Because they're not accepting your trouble as an opportunity to sit back and do nothing. They're not. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness, will certainly not rescue the wicked. So as we reflect on these truths, as we see these truths that we find from the king, who is going to have the kingdom because of his sinfulness stripped from his family. Yet still, he says these things, obey. What, what are... I, I want to... I, I want to... To consider, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's go to Romans. We can go ahead and go over here. Let's go to Romans chapter 13. 
We're going to do a, a little bit of reading here. This is New Testament perspective on authority, and, and we're going to say this, and, and I want us to understand, the, we're going to point out the caveats to these things, but, but instead of spending too much time, we're just going to read this as far as you, and, and if you're wondering how am I supposed to deal with this earthly authority that I've been placed under, whether or not you think that it's right, or you think that it's wrong, or you, you, you like the guy in charge, or you don't like the guy in charge, what does God's Word say about this? And I want to go ahead and caveat this with this is, we find throughout Scripture that there is one authority over all authorities. And who is that? That is God Himself. So if any earthly authority, this is a principle seen in Scripture, if any earthly authority is pressuring you to disobey the heavenly authority, what do you do? God is a God. He's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Well, here's the question then. What if that means persecution for you? Persecution, let it come. That's what you say. That's what you say. Because you know, and this is where, this is where a, a solid understanding of the sovereignty of God comes in, helps strengthen our spirits in these things, because we say, God is sovereign over this day, even if... This day is going to require of me my life. That it's the God who I serve and who I love and who I live for that rules over all of these things. And you stand in the middle of the fiery furnace if you must. Right? These are the examples that we get. These are the examples that we get. You put me in the den of lines. Put me in the den of lines. But I, I'm telling you you, 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 you say or you don't raise your hands that you don't know what the sovereignty of God is, implying that you do know what the sovereignty of God is. And if you're faced with a den of lions, I can guarantee you, you're going to likely be questioning the sovereignty of God, unless you are wise. Like we're being called to be wise. Right? So if that day comes for us, and it may come for us, then let the Holy Spirit empower us so that we stand. Uh, we seem so often so timid and so scared, like, like it's not the God of heaven's armies who we're serving. I'm so afraid of whatever. We, we won't do anything for fear. And that fear... Don't you understand that if, if you had a bigger picture of who your God is, and you looked at that picture, that those things would seem so terribly small? And even death itself, we see this. The history of the church proves this. Men and women gladly laying down their lives because they've seen a bigger God. And they know that their hope is not in this world. They know that all that this world has apart from Him is meaningless, vain, nothing. I, I want us to be there. Do you want to be there? I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to know that if that day came for me, that, that I would be as bold that day as I am right now. I want to know that to be true. How do we do that? We know Him. We're wise in Him. We know that He's greater than all other authorities that have ever been so much greater that He, in fact, is in control over them. So we serve then in different ways than those who don't know Him. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 13, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those, uh, for those who do what is wrong. You must submit to them not only to avoid punishment, but to submit also to keep a clear conscience. 
pay your taxes for you for pay your taxes too for these same reasons for government workers need to be paid they're serving god and what they do give to everyone what you owe them pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority we're to rebel when the time comes to rebel and that's when the authorities rebelled against God himself, right? I want to tell you, as bad as America is today, they ain't there yet, friends. We got it better than everybody else. We do. We do. So your, ta- so your taxes is 30%. 35%. Well, I don't... So what? So what? So what we do then is we say, man, I would do a whole lot more for people. Right? I would do a whole lot more if I just had that 30%. You won't do what you won't do good for people with the 70% that you have. You, you another 30 is gonna help you get over that ledge. Again. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there's a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. So you can't do good because you don't have enough to do good. And what I'm saying to you is that you are blind to the rest of the world. You're a fool to your blessings because you've been blessed greater than anyone even if you think that you're the poorest. We need to open our eyes to what God has done for us, what He has enabled us to do, what He has blessed us with. We need to be wise in the use of that. Because there's someone who's hungry that you can help. There is. There's someone needing clothing that you can help. There is. There's someone in chains for Christ that you can help. There is. And there is a king and a kingdom coming. That you think Solomon would have been harsh. There's a king coming that the only way that you get mercy is through the death of his son. Do you hear what that is? Your mercy and grace was bought with the life of His Son. What of those who reject that? What of those, what of us if we were to reject such a great... He gave the best that He could give... And we do nothing but make excuses. Do nothing but talk about how we're inadequate. We do nothing but talk about how we can't. We couldn't. We're not ready. We're not there yet. Give me another year. Maybe next year. Let me let me do a little bit more studying. Let me do a little bit more prepping. You know, I got this, this. That'll be out of the way by next year, and then I can do it. Right? I've got these things. That once I get these settled, then I can serve. Once I get these, then I'll be good. There's these troubles that I'm dealing with. That when those are out of the way, then I can do good. Then I can serve. What is he going to say to us? Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to end with this. So there's the kingdom coming, and it's coming now. Uh, Matthew 25, we're going to be looking at verse 31 through the rest of that passage of text. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. So in contrast with the 
the kingdoms of this world, the powers and authorities of this world, which ultimately compare in no way to the power and authority of the God who has spared no expense for our lives. Who has spared no expense for you, Christian, so that you could serve joyfully the King of Kings. So that you could do, not when you have more, but with what you have. Verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the King will say, to those on his right hand. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Do y'all understand? Do y'all understand that what is taking place is the plan? It is the plan. Right? What is taking place is the plan. God is sovereign. Yes, there's some difficult questions that we must wrestle with in that. Most of those questions are answered in our sinfulness. There are hungry people because we are sinful. There are people in chains because we are sinful. And we would question His character instead of our own. Because we are are sinful. But this is the plan, friends. It's been prepared from the beginning. And it's working. And it will come to completion. His kingdom is coming. The king will sit on his throne. All the nations will come together. And he will be the one that does the dividing. Verse 35. What's his his divider? Here. What's he he saying here? For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. How much of that is there not one person in here that could do every bit of it with what you have today? How many of us can't do any of that? Well, the question then is, one, are you? Two, why not? Who is it that you serve? Verse 37, Then the righteous ones will reply, Here's what's, here's what's going on. You, th- you think your service is insignificant, don't you? Right? That person you visited that was sick, you feel like, was that a waste of my time? Did they get anything from that? You feel like that, that person you took food to or that person you visited who was in trouble, like... Man, if I could only do 10,000 times more than that, it would feel like I did something. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You should think about that, friends. When you serve 
when you do something instead of nothing, as small, as insignificant as you may think it is, these are the things that will be said to you. That what you did for the least, you did for Christ. So as we, as we serve, ultimately, ultimately, we're serving the one who enabled us to serve us. Verse 41. Man, listen to this. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in to your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. I want us to be honest with ourselves. I want us to be very honest with ourselves. If we reflect on our lives, and we look at the pattern of life that we're in today, I'm not talking about reflecting on your sinfulness. I'm talking about where am I today? What is your life showing? Which camp do you fall in? The one serving the king? By serving the servants? Or the ones that will ask this question? They will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? Or when did I not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all that you have done. I thank you that you've given your son, Lord, that the, that the king has given his life for us. Lord, that is at times beyond my comprehension. Lord, that the king who will sit on the, on the throne humbled himself. When he came and subjected himself to the sinful world for a purpose he did it for a people he did it Lord while you were serving here in this place while you were working while you were preaching while you were healing, while you were prophesying, Lord, while you were carrying the cross, while the nails were being nailed, that you looked forward to the joy that you would find in your people. Lord, I pray that we would meet you there. Lord, and I, I pray that it would be out of the joyfulness of our hearts or that we would submit to, to you. We would submit our lives in service to you. Lord, not because, not because we fear punishment, Lord. Lord that, that punishment, I just understand, that's been, that's been paid in full. We stand before you. We stand in the in the the completed work of Christ. When we serve, our inabilities they're made up for. They're made up for because you are more than able. Lord, if any of my brothers and sisters here tonight feel themselves inadequate or or unable or or, or waiting for 
something to get out of the way so that they can serve. Lord, I, I pray that you would do away with the excuses. Lord, I, I, don't, I don't pray that you would do away with situations because I know that you're sovereign over situations. I, you know, I, I know that you're sovereign over sicknesses. I know that you're sovereign over job losses. I know that you're sovereign over, over the best of days and over the worst of days. I just, I just pray that we would be useful for you, or that we would see today for what it is that it is a gift given to us by you, and that we would, that we would seek with all that we are, that all with all that we have, that we would, that we would serve you, Lord. We would serve you with everything, Lord. For we do not know the day that our lives will be required of us Lord it could be today Lord let us be found serving in that day Lord 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 how how often do we find ourselves weary and tired chasing after sinfulness and not even not even batting an eye Lord that we would that we would grow weary in service for you. That we would that we would grow weary because in growing weary we would find rest. Instead, it seems so often we're complacent instead with just being scared, being afraid. Lord, let us understand that you are sovereign. Lord, let us be bold because we know the God we serve is so much bigger than anyone who would ever stand against it. I thank you for Christ and I thank you for the cross. And let us understand and let us dive deeper into understanding. Or let us cherish you. Let you, Lord, I, I pray that for each and every one of us that you are our highest treasure. Lord, that if you're not, if you're not in my life, Lord, if you're not the highest goal, the highest treasure in my life, I pray that you would destroy whatever it is. And I pray the same for my brothers and sisters. Lord, that you would tear down those things. So that as you do, we would see you for who you are. Lord, you are greater, and you are bigger, and you are stronger. You are more glorious. You are more holy. You are more merciful. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.